Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be gathered here in your house around your word. And God, I pray that you'd help us this morning. God, speak to our heart. God, I pray that you'd help every individual. God, every family, Lord, that's represented here this morning. And Lord, help me to be clear in the Sunday school hour. God, I pray that you'd bless the morning service. God, Lord, uh, Lord, I pray you'd bring people in. God, bring visitors in. And Lord, help us. God, Lord, I pray that the word of God would be preached. I pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be magnified. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me just make a couple of remarks in review about these chapters. Uh, as I said a minute ago, these things relate to 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. It deals with really the subject of temperance. And the way that Paul breaks into this subject of temperance is by trying to answer a question that either he himself has raised or the, the congregation down at Corinth has raised, and it's the subject of do we eat meats offered to idols? Now, hold your place in 1 Corinthians 8, and let me show you something that's very clear. I know uh, for the most part, most of you know this, but I, I want to say it for the sake of covering these matters. Acts chapter 15, I don't know if I told you where to go, but Acts chapter 15, and I want to be super, super clear about these things. And uh, so look with me very quickly in Acts 15. We'll probably come back to Acts 15 here in a second. But Acts 15 and look in verse 29. This is the instruction of James who is essentially, I guess you could say he's the pastor. He's the, he's the overseer of the church down at Jerusalem. Uh, the people that have trusted Christ and they're in Christ and there's a little local assembly there in Jerusalem. And he said, uh, well, verse 28, it's kind of hard to break into the middle of a thought, but we'll do it anyway. Acts 15, 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, which if you do, from which if you keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. So he writes a letter that... Uh, up to Acts chapter 15, the, uh, the concept in the church's mind has been this is really a Jewish thing because that's the way that God has dealt with men in the Old Testament. It's to the Jews, and then if the Gentiles want in on it, they have to go through the Jews, essentially. And when you get to Acts 15, some things have taken place throughout the book of Acts that makes it very clear that God is now dealing with Gentiles by faith, in Jesus Christ. And so having said that, there are some men that come down and say, well, you've got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And that's what Acts chapter 15 is about. They're trying to settle that matter. Hey, is that really true? Do we really have to be circumcised? Do we really have to keep the law of Moses? And the conclusion is no, we do not. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you're saved. That's how I'm saved. Anybody that gets saved in the church age, that's how they get saved. They get saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether they're Jews. It doesn't matter whether they're Gentiles. Male, female, bond or free, doesn't matter who they are. They get saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But James says, well, let's write them some things that will help keep them on track, if you will. And those are the four stipulations that he lays on them. Abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, things strangled, and from fornication. He said, if you'll do these things, you'll do well. That is not how you get saved. But that's what you do 
If you want to do well, these are some things that you need to do. Well, when you come to 1 Corinthians 8, we, we covered the stuff going through 1 Corinthians 8, and the way I explained it last week is you could eat meats offered to idols. That does not mean that you should. You could. And when I say you could, what I mean by that is you could, and you'd still go to heaven if you trusted Christ. Because you don't go to hell because you ate meats offered to idols. You go to hell because you haven't trusted Christ. So you go to heaven because you trusted Christ. Okay, well, what if I trust Christ and then I eat meats offered to idols? Well, you still go to heaven. Right? Uh, to use Acts chapter 15, if I, and this is hard for some folks to believe, but it's, this is just the way that it is. Acts chapter 15, in the same verse, he says, abstain from meats offered to idols. One of the other things he says to abstain from is fornication. Well, you don't get saved by not fornicating. You get saved by trusting Christ. Okay, well, what happens if you trust Christ and then you fornicate? Oh, you're going to hell. No. No. You're, if you really got saved, if you really trusted Christ as your Savior, you're still going to heaven. That, listen to me. Listen to me. That's liberty. Oh, you're saying that people can do whatever they want after they got saved. Well, you can do whatever you want after you get saved and still go to heaven. But you cannot do. See, you say things like that, and, and I pause because people think in their mind, well, if this guy lives a lower life than the life that I live, he, poss he couldn't possibly be saved. And that's just not true. Because you don't get saved by living a certain kind of life. You get saved because Jesus Christ lived a certain life. You were disobedient. You, you say, well, I never killed anybody. You were still disobedient. Uh, you say, well, I never committed adultery. I never committed fornication. You're still disobedient. You say, well, I never stole anything. You're still disobedient. I don't know in what respect you were disobedient, but you were disobedient. And what it took for you to be born again was somebody had to live an obedient life in your stead and then offer themselves as a sacrifice to God to satisfy God's wrath. That's been done. That's why you're saved. You trusted that payment. That's why you're saved. And so your disobedience... Your disobedience doomed and damned you for hell. Christ took care of that. That's taken care of. Well, your disobedience after you get saved is not going to send you to hell. But it is going to make the quality of your Christian life, if I could use the term to be very blunt with you, to paint the picture in your mind, it will make your Christian life a living hell. And that is not what Christianity is supposed to be. Christianity is supposed to really be, for you, heaven on earth. Glory came down and heaven filled my soul. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be glorious for you. Well, what Paul's trying to get across to these folks at, at the church at Corinth is that, okay, when it comes to the matter of eating meats offered to idols, okay, you could eat it. You shouldn't, but you could eat it. That's liberty. 
Uh, we looked at some things in the book of Galatians. First uh, Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. He said, take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Uh, hold your place in first Corinthians eight and look with me in Galatians. I think we looked in Galatians two last week. Uh, we're going to go later in the book and look in Galatians five. Galatians five. Now, in Galatians, what Paul's dealing with is this concept of it's really the same thing that they had to deal with in Acts 15. Hey, do we have to keep the law of Moses and be circumcised to be saved? The same thing that's taken place in Jerusalem has taken place at Galatia. Somebody's come in and said, well, you get saved by trust in Christ, but you stay saved by observing the law of Moses and by being circumcised. And Paul writes Galatians and is communicating the fact that that's not true. You're saved by grace through faith and you're kept saved by grace through faith. That's a great blessing. That's liberty. And so he says in Galatians 5 verse 1, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now watch what he says later in the chapter. He says in verse 13, he said, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. There it is. Hey, I've been called to liberty in the sense that uh, I got saved. I trusted Christ. There's nothing that I can do to lose that salvation. So a man sits back. The natural tendency of the flesh in, in, a, in a man's mind is to think, well, then that means I can do whatever I want. Now watch how Paul addresses it. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That liberty is not given to you so that you can go fulfill the lust of your flesh. That liberty is given to you so that you can serve one another. That's a great liberty. Before you, before you got saved, you know the only person that you're worried about serving? It's you. What do I want? Uh, you know why a lost man gets married? For himself. The concept behind salvation is now not just about me, it's about others. That is the thing that pervades his life. First, about the will of God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your might. And the second, he said that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 14 in Galatians 5. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's your liberty. That's why God gave you the liberty. When you got saved, what Christ did is he set you free from the bondage of self-tyranny. Yes, sir. Hey, you don't want to be ruled by the love of God. You're going to be ruled by the tyrannical will of self. Yes, sir. And so when you come to 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, you, you think about what you're dealing with, what Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10. The overall idea is, is temperance. That's what Paul's trying to get across to these people. Think about who he's dealing with. He is dealing with the most carnal church he has ever dealt with. There's a lot of books that, a lot of epistles that Paul wrote, and he's dealing with carnal people. He's dealing with certain, or I say carnal people, 
true in a measure. But he's dealing with people that need to be straightened out with about things. But when you read 1 Corinthians in comparison to his other epistles that he writes, 1 Corinthians is scathing. It is scathing compared to the other epistles that he's writing. And the reason that it's scathing is because he's dealing with a congregation that the only thing they're worried about is me. How can I be pleased? How can I be satisfied? And what Paul is trying to get across in these three chapters is it's not about you anymore. Well, I could do it and I could get away with it. That's the wrong question. The wrong question is not can I get away with it. The right question, the right idea, the right concept to have in your mind is that, hey, God saved me and now I'm living for something new. I'm living for a bigger purpose. And that is why a lot of Christians are as miserable as the devil. It's because God saved you. God saved you. You're on your way to heaven. But when he saved you, he put something new inside. It's something to live to a, a new purpose. Not to live to your will, but to live to God's will. And, the, and when you try to conduct yourself the same way that you did before you got saved, you ignore God's will and pay attention to self-will. It's a contradiction of natures. You are by all by all definitions of the term, you are bipolar. You're a schizo. I'm just so confused. That's understandable. Because you've got two things living on the inside that's saying, I want me, and another part that's saying, I want God. I want my will. I want God's will. And when you begin to lean this way, towards self-will, towards me, towards what I want to do, the only thing that's going to come out of that is, well, what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, he says it's death. Something's going to die. You're killing yourself. You're not going to lose your salvation. But, man, it's working death as, as quickly as you're living that way. It, it's, it's going to mess you up. And that's what he's dealing with in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Uh, I don't know if you lost your place there in Galatians. I did. Let me go over to Galatians chapter 6. Look at this. Galatians chapter 6. And look in verse uh, 15. Galatians chicks, <laughs> chicks. Galatians 6, look in verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. That's what salvation is. It's being a new creature. Living, living your Christian life, you're going to have to get out of the mindset. Now, now listen to me real close. You're going to have to get out of the mindset that Christianity is a system of do's and don'ts. There is that. It's there. But that's not Christianity in toto. And when I say in toto, I don't mean Dorothy's dog. I mean, I'm talking about in total. That is not Christianity. Christianity is a new creature. There are things. Don't do this. Don't do that. Uh, Acts 15, we just looked at it. They got saved. Right? The Gentiles believed. And a man who's seasoned in his walk with God, he's, he's one of those that walked with Jesus Christ in the flesh on this earth. And... Uh, he says, don't do this and don't do that. And he says, if you'll do these things, you'll do well. Well, by not doing or, or do doing, 
He didn't, that's not how he got saved. That's not how he became a new creature. That's a result of becoming a new creature. Those things are necessary, but that is not salvation. That is not Christianity per se. You say, why do you make that distinction? Because a lot of people, when they get saved, uh, a preacher or maybe somebody that's been saved for a while will come to them and say, now listen, you trusted Christ as you saved you. You need to quit doing this and you need to quit doing that and you need to quit doing this. And they say, okay. And they comply. They conform. And then they think, well, I'm a good Christian now because I quit doing all this stuff. No. That's not true. I know people right now who don't fornicate and they don't eat meats offered to idols and they don't eat things strangled and they abstain from blood and they're not even saved. So doing those things does not make you a good Christian. You say, what makes me a good Christian? Well, you're going to have to, first of all, get out of this mindset that Christianity revolves in the realm of touch not, taste not, handle not. Paul talks about that in Galatians or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2, I believe it is. He said, those things have a show of wisdom and will worship. Hey, okay, it's got some wisdom to it. There, there, is some, uh, there is some edification to those things. But Christianity in total is a new creature. Look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and look in verse 17. You probably got this verse memorized. And if you don't, it's a good verse to memorize. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all, thing, all things are passed. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what Christianity is. And listen, let me tell you, just to run a little side trail right here. That's the important part of repentance. That's why repentance is necessary for salvation. How can you become a new creature if you're still thinking the same way that you used to think? Hey, listen to me. There is not an ounce of scripture to support the fact that if you quit drinking, you're going to be saved. But I can guarantee you this. You are not going to look at drinking the same way after you get saved as you did before. You're not going to look at it the same. You, whether or not you still drink after you get saved, I'm not arguing about that. But what I'm saying is something in your heart is going to change about that stuff. You say, what is that? That's called repentance. Yes, sir. You, you're not going to look at sin the same way after you get saved as the way that you do. You say, what is as, as the way that you did before you got saved? You say, what is it? That is repentance. And let me tell you something. Repentance is necessary for salvation. You have to repent in order to be saved. We've got preachers running around who are scorning uh, us preachers because I'm one of them. I'm one of them that believes you have to repent in order to be saved. And they're scorning us preachers saying, you're, you're preaching a works-based salvation. No, I'm preaching that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You, you, say, you say I'm a Calvinist. I'm not a Calvinist. You say I'm a Calvinist. You say I'm preaching a work salvation. I don't care what you say. But the Bible says that in order for a man to get saved, he has to exercise repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
That is church age doctrine. That is Acts chapter, I believe it's 22. That is after Acts chapter 15. That is right in the throes of the church age. That is what Paul preached to the church. That's what he said he preached to the church at Ephesus. The same people to which he said, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. Repentance is not works. You say, what is it? It's a change of your mind. It's a change of your heart. You're not going to get saved unless you're willing to change your mind about that sin. Yes, sir. And listen, if you're sitting in here and you're saved this morning, which I take it everybody in here's made a profession of faith, <clears throat> if you're saved, that happened. You say, Brother Nathan, I've never changed my mind towards sin. Then you're not saved. I don't have any problem saying that. I'm telling you, if, you haven't, if your mind, if you still look at sin the, as the same way as you did before you made your little profession, before you came to an altar and prayed a little prayer or had some little sentimental notion, if you look at sin the same way, if sin does not grieve you, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about whether or not you still do it. I know what the answer to that is. Yes, sir. But I'm talking about your attitude towards it. If your attitude towards sin has not changed, you're lost as a softball in high weeds. You're lost as a goose in a hailstorm. You need to trust Christ. You need to repent of your sin. And you need to get saved. Well, listen, I'm not preaching to lost people, although I'm a little bit stirred up about that. I'm enjoying myself, but I will say this. If you're saved in here, that happened. You changed your mind has been changed about a life of iniquity. It's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's what salvation is about. Salvation is not necessarily about don't do this and don't do that. It's about your whole life, your mindset being changed. And that is supposed to produce works. It's supposed to produce things on the outside. A lot of people get saved and a preacher says, you should do this and you should do that and you should do this and you should do that. And they comply. And God bless you. When you first get saved, that needs to happen. God gave you those preachers for a reason. You're not going to understand everything the day that you get saved. So a preacher going to have to, or, or some Christian, going to have to take you under their wings and say, hey, you shouldn't do this. Hey, you shouldn't do that. But at some point, you're going to have to begin to ask questions. Why? Why don't we eat meats offered to idols? Why don't we fornicate? You said, Brother Nathan, everybody knows the answer to that. Do they? Why is teenagers leaving church left and right, and as soon as 18, they turn 18, they're going out and making a mess? Somebody's not asking questions. What they've done, and I, I'm talking about the people who's been taught, they, they've been, mom and daddy preached to them year after year after year, hey, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, but why? Well, you, you'll figure it out one day. Well, not if somebody doesn't explain it to them. Uh, this Ethiopian eunuch riding back from Jerusalem, going back to Ethiopia, uh, he's, the, he's the business executive for the queen of Ethiopia. He's, he's her treasure. 
and reading the book of Isaiah, Philip comes up to him and he says, Understandest thou what thou readest? Well, how can I except some man guide me? He got questions. Hey, people you run into, they got questions. Man, so going to have to answer those questions. And so this thing of just do this, do that, do this. And listen, it's not just not good. It, it's not, it's a good, good place to start. That's where you have to start. But that's not a good place to be for the rest of your life. Hey, you folks in here that's been saved for 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years, even some of you, uh, you've been saved five or 10 years. You should be in the place now to where you know why we do what we do. You should know why. Hey, what's the purpose and motive behind uh, not eating meats offered to idols? Hey, why is it that we come to church when we come to church? Why is it that you're supposed to do these things that are preached on on a regular basis? Why? That's called being established. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to these people in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Yes, sir. Don't just want you to know that you shouldn't eat meats offered to idols, but we want you to know the, the motive behind it. Well, you got the liberty. You've got the liberty. But that doesn't mean that you should do it. Well, why? Hey, if I can eat meats offered to idols, what's to keep me? That's what a selfish man asks. That's the approach that a selfish man takes. He's thinking about himself. And the moment that Paul starts off, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he opens up the, the chapter and he says, verse 1, this is 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1, he says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Hey, I know that an idol is nothing. There's only one God. An idol's just a block of wood. But he said, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. You're going to have to operate not only on what you know, but on what the other guy doesn't know. You say, why? Because you have charity towards him. Not just worried about my growth. You shouldn't just be worried about your growth. Hey, there's other people sitting in this building this morning. You have family members that have made a profession of faith and they're not in church. They're not here. You should undertake their development. Be concerned about them. Yes, sir. And you're not going to do that if you don't have any temperance. Uh, now, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, not going to go through chapter 8 or really the whole of chapter 9. I've spent more time on that than I intended to, but... Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul breaks into the fact of, hey, I'm an apostle. And he goes into this thing of, I have the right, I have, uh, it's expedient, well, not expedient, but it's sensible for me as an apostle to expect that if I meet people's spiritual needs, it's only right for me to expect that they meet my carnal needs. And I don't think... A whole lot of people would argue with that concept. And he goes through and he gives Old Testament example. Verse 9, uh, Moses says, Thou shalt not muzzle the, ox, uh, the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. And then he goes on and say, he says, God not only said that for those oxen, he said it for us. He said it for us. And so, but then he goes on and he says, but I'm not going to use that. He said, I'm not going to use that. And this is the purpose why he doesn't enforce that rule. He says, so that the gospel is not hindered. Paul's more worried about the gospel not being hindered than he's worried about taking his own liberty. 
Hey, I, this is the mind of Paul. This is what he's saying. I have a right to expect that these churches that I'm ministering to take care of my carnal needs. But he says, if I have to let that go in order that the gospel be furthered, then he said, I'm going to let it go. Not going to strive about that, not going to fight with it. Now, here's where you pick up. Look in verse 23. Here's where we're going to pick up today. Verse 23. He said, and this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. This I do for the gospel's sake. This matter of temperance is a matter of what we do, not because we can or because we can get away with it. It's a matter of this is what we do for the gospel's sake. Well, hey, I could. I could eat meats offered unto idols and not go to hell. That's true. So then why shouldn't I eat meats offered unto idols? Because it's not suitable to the gospel end. You say, what are you talking about? Well, when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and you look down here in verse uh, 27. Let me give you the end before we get there. Verse 27, he said, If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, he said, Whatsoever set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So here you are, you're sitting in a Buddhist temple, or, uh, which is really wild. You're sitting at some place, I say in a Buddhist temple, you're sitting in some man's house, let's put it that way, because it doesn't say that it's in a temple or anything. He just says, if you go to a feast. So here you go, you sit at some man's house, he's sitting on a feast, and he puts some meat in front of you. Paul said, don't ask. Don't ask where it, where it came from. He said, uh, verse 28, but if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, don't eat it. Eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Now, watch. He, he's taking two things and he's throwing them in together. He said, that meat, whose meat does, or who does that meat belong to? It's God's. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord said, if I was hungry in the book of Psalms, he said, I wouldn't tell you. He said, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Hey, when those reprobates took that meat and offered it to Baal, or Molech, or Buddha, or Mary, which is not Mary the mother of Jesus. The Mary that they worship is somebody else. But when they take that meat and they offer it to Mary, quote unquote, you know whose meat that still belongs to? That's God's meat. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Which, that says a lot about that making God mad. Idolatry, God hates idolatry. God likens idolatry to adultery. God don't like idolatry. But he says, Paul says, he says, uh, for the earth is the Lord's end of verse 28 and the fullness thereof. But he says, even still in verse 28, he says, eat not for his sake that showed it. This guy who said, hey, this was just offered in the temple this morning to this false God. Paul said, when you're told that, push it away and don't eat it. And he said, the question comes up, why? And it's for the guy's sake who told you. And for conscience sake. Well, look at what he says in the next verse. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? What he's saying is, what, let me rephrase it so that you can understand what he's saying. Why is my liberty looked down on by another? Hey, I got the liberty to eat this thing, Paul's saying. 
But he said, I'm not going to let this guy look at my liberty and despise it. I'm not going to let my, this guy look at my liberty and, and use that as an occasion to say, well, his religion ain't worth nothing. He says he's a Christian. He says he's a follower, a, a, a disciple, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he's partaking in the same stuff I'm partaking in. <clears throat> little Jew observes Passover. Got that little matzah out there. And they invite you over to their house. You know, it's very tempting to look at that Passover stuff. Look at that little chicken neck. They don't even celebrate with a Passover lamb. They celebrate with a chicken neck. Somehow that's supposed to be uh, adequate for Passover observance. They're far from God. But it's real tempting to sit there and say, oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, this is okay. I mean, this is Passover. This is in the Old Testament. I'm a Christian. They're a Jew. We can meet together. You know what you should do? You should not eat. Don't eat. You say, why? What would be wrong with it? I can eat this matzah. It's just flatbread. That's basically all it is, is little crackers, big crackers, actually. I could eat this matzah, and it'll be okay. It's for the conscience of that other guy. That guy's going to watch you eat that stuff. He's going to watch you participate in his little observance. And what, what he's thinking in his mind is he's using what you're doing as a wash of his conscience. He's using what you're doing to absolve the conviction in his own mind that, well, hey, he's participating with me. I guess our religions are the same after all. So what's happened is your liberty. You have the liberty to do that. But what's happened by you partaking is now your liberty has been judged by this guy who's not doing right. Well, I guess it's okay after all. Our religions are not all, all, we're all working to get to the same place. Paul said, no, sir, you need to separate yourself from those things. Not because it's going to have an effect on you, not because it's going to send you to hell, but for testimony's sake. I just don't think that I should live my Christian life worried about what other people think. Paul said you should. That's what Paul's talking about when he says in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 18, What is my reward then verily when I preach the gospel? I may make the gospel uh, of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, I, I, don't, I don't care about what you think. It don't matter to me. You think I'm not doing right? I don't care. See how, see how bold that sounds? For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, to, as without law being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are without law. Paul said, when I dealt with a Jew... And he did this in, in the book of Acts. Let me throw this in here so that you, uh, I know this is a lot of details, but if you can get this, this will, I believe this will help you in your Christian life. Paul goes back to Jerusalem after he travels around uh, preaching to all these Gentiles. And James comes to him and says, hey, these Jews in Jerusalem are saying that you're throwing off the law of Moses. Paul's a Jew. He said, 
They're saying because you're preaching to all these Gentiles, you're throwing off on the law of Moses and you're not, if you had kids, you wouldn't have them circumcised. He said, listen, there's four guys that are getting ready to go into a temple and they, they've taken upon themselves a vow and they've shaved their heads. That's Old Testament thing. James said, James is part of the church. And James said, hey, why don't you do exactly what those guys have done to show these Jews around here in Jerusalem that you're not walking contrary to God's order. So Paul did it. Paul submitted himself to things that he had. There was no binding thing on him to do that. He didn't have to do that to be saved. He didn't even have to really do it to be right with God. Well, then what did he do it for? Testimony's sake. These Jews are sitting back in Jerusalem hearing that this Jew who once hated Christians, now he's going around promoting this faith that he once persecuted, Galatians chapter 1, and they're saying, man, this guy is absolutely destroying the law of Moses. And James said, you need to make sure that those people understand you're not using this Christianity to walk disorderly. You see the concept? You're saved. Praise the Lord. Okay. You drink beer and still go to heaven. You shouldn't. You say, why? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that you shouldn't. We could preach on that for a while, but I'll give you a better reason. I'll give you the reason in context of what we're talking about this morning. You ain't ever seen good Christians that's drunkards. It's a matter of testimony's sake. It's a matter of testimony. When you preach something like that, when you deal with something like that, immediately your flesh rises up and says, well, I don't care what nobody thinks. And Paul said, you should care. Now listen, we're not talking about matters of right and wrong. And what I mean by that is, if you say something that's right, for example, it's a hot subject in the country right now. If you stand up and say, hey, God said homosexuality is wrong. And somebody kicks back on that. And so a weak Christian, uh, uh, a compromising Christian, not even a weak Christian, a compromising Christian will say, well, I've got to become all things to all men. No, you're taking that wrong. That's not what Paul's talking about. You're not, you're not going to get on the homosexual side and uphold the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's talking about here is he's talking about doing things or letting go of things, tempering yourself Things that you could do, but if you do them, it's going to be, it's going to be a hindrance to the gospel. It's going to be a hindrance to the Christian end. You could do those things, but you should let them go because it's going to hinder the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to hinder the testimony of the church. You should let those things go for somebody else's sake. Yes, sir. He's not talking about compromise. Now, let me show you 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, the beginning of the chapter. Let me look here for just a second. Yeah, and then make a couple more points and we'll be finished this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, watch, watch what he does. Uh, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And, all, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. 
For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about Israel coming out of the land of Egypt. And so he makes this point. They all came out. All of them. There was not an Israelite behind. And so what he's pointing to is the fact that in type, that's a picture of you getting saved. Israel crossing the Red Sea, that's a picture of you getting saved. You understand that? God drowned Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. Never more have to worry about, is, uh, have to worry about Egypt and, the, and Pharaoh's armies coming after him. That's eternal security. They're as safe as safe can be from Pharaoh, who is a type of the devil. Right? They're, they're separated from the world. That's Egypt. Egypt's a type of the world. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, he said, I glory in the cross by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. There's your salvation. All of them came out. If you're part of the church this morning, the body of Christ, you came out of Egypt. You're out of the world. Praise the Lord. But just because they came out does not mean that they made it into the land of Canaan. Canaan is not a picture of heaven. Everybody will tell you that, but that's not true. We have songs in the church hymnal, and I honestly, even though they're wrong doctrinally, I still like to sing them. Uh, but there's one song actually that we have in there, and it tells you the right type. It says, I'm living in Canaan right now. People talk about Jordan, and they say, well, when I die, I'm going to cross Jordan's stormy banks. No, no. Crossing Jordan's stormy banks is a picture of you dying to yourself and getting into the land of Canaan is a type of you living a life, a Christian life of victory. Hey, in Canaan, they had to fight. You don't have to fight when you go to heaven. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. You don't fight in heaven. You fight in this life. But the difference between living in the wilderness and living in Canaan is that in the land of Canaan, their method of fighting was different and God promised them victory. God said, if you'll do it this way, I'll give you victory. None of your enemies will be able to stand before you. That's possible. It's possible for you to live that way as a Christian. Well, what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 10 is they all came out of Egypt, but they didn't all make it in to the land of Canaan. You say, what kept them out of the land of Canaan? Lack of temperance. What kept them out of that land of fruitfulness? What kept them out of that land of victory? Lack of temperance. Look at what he said. Now these things, verse 6, were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them, all, uh, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, neither murmur ye. That's a picture of a Christian living in the wilderness. You know what the one characteristic of Israel in the wilderness was? It was whining and complaining. Yep. That was a constant all the way through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> What's all this man about? We, our soul loatheth this dry bread. Just whine, whine, whine. Unthankful, bitter, mean people. 
They're out of Egypt. But they're miserable. That's good preaching. Yes, sir. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, verse 10, neither murmur ye, some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Okay, so you come out of the land of Egypt, but you don't make it into the land of Canaan. You know what happened to them? They died before they got in there. He didn't say they went to hell, but they died. Hey, 1 John, I believe it's chapter 5, says there is a sin unto death. What is that sin unto death, brother? It's the one God kills you for. It's the one where God says, okay, that's enough. I, I'm done trying to convict you. I'm not saying, that's, it doesn't say uh, you get saved and then there's a sin to where God undoes salvation. But there is a sin unto death. It's there. You're looking at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know what that stuff was caused by? Lack of temperance. We want. I want. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I'm uncomfortable. How come we got to do this? How come we got to do that? How come, how come this water's bitter, Moses? How come well, all we got is bread and we don't have meat? Uh, we want to go back to Egypt where there's the leeks and garlics. And God said, okay, that's it. I've had enough. Just start slaughtering people. Hey, you came out of Egypt, praise God, but you never got to the place. You never got to the place where God wanted you to get to. Hey, listen, God doesn't just want you to be saved. He wants that because that's where it all starts. You're never going to get to, eat, to get to Canaan until you come out of Egypt. But if all you've done is come out of Egypt and you're walking around saying, I'm saved, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But hey, man, God's got something more for you. You say, what's God got for me? God wants you to live a life of temperance. God wants you to live a life of obedience. And what you're going to do is you're going to get into that land of Canaan if you'll be obedient, if you'll trust God, if you'll begin to temper yourself. Not let yourself do everything that you want to do and everything that you could do and still go to heaven. Amen. Well, cut some of that stuff out. Hey, there's a lot of things that you're allowed to do. You just can't do too much. Yes, sir. Uh, okay, we'll start tempering yourself. And what you might find out is you'll break over Jordan. God will start blessing you and letting you have some of this fruitfulness. Boy, you start leading some people to Christ, seeing some things in your Bible. Yes, sir, you start enjoying this Christian life. Hey, those, those Israelites, I don't really believe, I can say this with 100% confidence, they didn't enjoy being out of the land of Egypt until they crossed Jordan. And the people that came out of Egypt never made it in. You know who made it in? Their kids. But their kids didn't make it in until mom and daddy died. Boy, that'll preach. Yes, sir. What holds a lot of kids back from living a fruitful Christian life is mom and daddy. Send kids off to youth camp, let them be submerged in preaching for a full week, and then they come back, and in two days, they're worse off than when they left. I don't know why we send these kids to camp. It just wears off within two weeks. That's because they live with you. You are the common denominator. Hey, man, maybe you're holding them out. Hey, maybe what you need is some temperance. 
Amen. There's good preaching weather in here this morning. Let's pray. We'll get in the morning service. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us this morning. Lord, these matters of temperance, God, Lord, it's, a, it's an important thing, God. It's a weighty thing, Lord. And I pray you help me. God, I pray you help these folks, God, here this morning. Help us, God, Lord, to recognize that, Lord, the things that we could do are not always things, Lord, that we should do. And God, be unbridled in them, Lord. Help us, God, to recognize the importance, God, of self-control, Lord, and recognizing the importance, not just for physical health, but, Lord, for spiritual well-being, God, Lord, to recognize that, Lord, we're going to have to bridle ourselves, God, until the day that we die. Lord, help us, God, Lord, with these things, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.